Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. This is Marissa Carpico, the film editor at thepopbreak.com. I am here with my co-host, Matt Taylor. Say hello, Matt. Hi, everyone. And we are here for um, another installment of the Way Too Early Oscar podcast. This is a little later than we uh, thought we would be uh, posting this episode. If you recall from last time, we were boundlessly excited about seeing West Side Story. I was uh, essentially homicidal in my <laughs> need to see it because I didn't get to see it like opening night because I was like, hanging out with friends, you know, trying to be a good person. Remember um, that? Hanging out with friends? <laughs> yes. And then, and then a little Miss, little Miss Omicron showed up and now we have, um, you know, unlimited time to record, but not the mental capacity to do so. So it's been a minute. Um, mm-hmm. I have seen West Side Story twice. Um, so we're going to talk about it. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't, I couldn't remember if you'd seen it twice. Um, we have both risked our lives to go to the theater to see it. It's that good. Um, spoiler alert we love it um but let's talk about it because you know it was the cliffhanger of last episode <laughs> um so West Side Story is a, re- a remake reimagining whatever you want to call it of both the play and uh, 1961 film of the same name if you want to talk here let's talk about the 1961 film we did on our in the Winter Still Is podcast last season um but it is the narrative is basically a Romeo and Juliet set in mid-century New York City in um, the Upper West Side, where uh, Lincoln Center now is. It is directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, stars stars Rachel Ziegler and um, Ansel Elgort and Ariana DeBose and a lot of other people. Um, it is. Uh, a big, bright, colorful musical that we've been waiting two years to see, and it basically lived up to expectations. Matt, why don't you tell? Why don't you start the uh, the gushing? Oh God, uh, get ready! It's <laughs> like it's. I went in with pretty high expectations uh, for what it's like because just the reviews were so positive going in, yeah. and yeah. Um, I even uh, someone my uh, in laws essentially there. There's no term for the parents of my boyfriend. So, so um, they called, they got sick and they asked if we wanted tickets to go see Company on Broadway, oh, which is my favorite musical. But we said no, because I was so excited for West Side Story. Um, and I already had Company tickets for in February. So it's okay. like, I was like, all right, like that's how excited I was. And I was just so wrapped up in the story from the from the get-go and the way the, the changes Tony Kushner's script makes with um makes like from the original and from the book of the play and um just I was so wrapped up in it and so in awe of all the musical numbers that at like the halfway point during the um the date to the museum that Tony and Maria go on um it occurred to me at some point I'm like oh shit like this is a, a tragedy. This is like, this is going to get sad and everything. And I just like, for the last, I guess, 80 minutes of it was like crying, <laughs> like fully just like the like, emotions overcame me. Uh, from the beginning, from the beginning, emotions were high because the way Spielberg directs so many of these sequences, it's like, you know, 
this is a year where I, I have been perhaps overrating movies quite a bit because <laughs> I just I just missed seeing things in theaters. And it's like there is something about seeing a movie in a big crowd that is like I can't that is very easy to get wrapped up in and just be like, I missed this four stars. This was like the first time though truly since um since the pandemic, of course actually like absolutely, but honestly the first time in like a decade maybe or like at least five years where I was just sitting there like in awe of what I was seeing on screen like just visually it is just so beautifully directed the entire school dance sequence is just like every single frame the way the camera moves throughout the scene the choreography the performance choices it's all just like exactly what I go to the movies for it's it's just really really thrilling blockbuster stuff like Spielberg at his very very best and um then when this so I was already like you know very emotional watching it being like movie theaters are so important and everything and then (laughs) and then the you know the sad act happens and I was just like fully audibly weeping watching it basically like my 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 boyfriend was just like looking at me cautiously like throughout the film like you okay he's like you need to go I mean, I honestly was like, like, do I have to get up at some point? <laughs> like, at what point is this too distracting for people? And um, and then, and, at what point am I too much? Like, honestly, that's what I was thinking. And <laughs> it was just, it was incredible. Like, it is just one of the most incredible film experiences I've had in a theater in a very long time. It's so well done, and. The fact that I got so emotional about it, I just think it's such a testament to the screenplay because we talked about the 1961 film, I mean, less than six months ago, I think, at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, my problem with that was that, like, for all the spectacle of certain scenes, like America and everything like that, I am so cold by the love story of it all. Mm-hmm. And not that I was wrapped up in the love story, so to speak, here, even though it, I, what, I did find it more effective here than in the 1961 film, but just, like, the story is put into such a new context in this script, and the the conflict between the jets and um and the sharks, the sharks. yeah, is given like such new a, a new life in the way that um, Tony Kushner writes about it, and like more explicitly reveals the the um, the jets' racism and everything like that, and just like mm-hmm. I just I thought it was so stunning and so powerful, and I. You know, I saw it a second time, and if it wasn't for this new pandemic, I think I would have seen it at least two more times. Like, it's yeah. just like, like I'm really hoping it's still in theaters in some capacity once uh, it's a little more safe to go to the movies, because I want to go again. I think it's I think it's just one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I had to sneak it in the first time at, like, 10 a.m. before a Christmas party, when those were still happening. Um <laughs> Uh, because I was like, I don't have time to see this for the next five days. And I, I have to see it. I have to see it or I will kill someone. Um, <laughs> like, I, this will be my origin, my villain origin story if I don't get to see it as soon as possible. And I was like, oh, my God. The second it ended, I was like, I would like to see this again. When can I have the time? And then by the time <laughs> that I had time again, the new movie, game, movie going was dangerous. So I just did it and I kept waiting and I kept looking at the latest showings or the earliest showings just to see that it would be, you know, when it was 
empty enough for me to be comfortable with it. And I finally did it in the last 24 hours of the recording of this podcast. It was like 1040 on a Tuesday night between, <laughs> you know, <laughs> between Christmas and New Year's is the only time. And listen, it was worth it. It was fucking incredible. I was moved. I was moved to tears multiple times. I mean, I had the same thought. I think I had the same reaction both times to certain things, but um, I, I certainly specifically remember this time crying during um, just this sheer cinematic spectacle of the school dance and then also mm-hmm. in America. It's just like those numbers are so fucking good that I was like, if, if these could go on forever, I would I would be so happy to live the rest of my life this way because it is so fucking co- like beautifully shot and full of life and vibrancy and um and like extra meaning that that's that has been added in and or really was always there but has been like filtered through the lens of where we are now in social discussions that like I just could not believe like you mentioned how rich the text has become even it was already a rich text but the way that Kushner and Spielberg made it even more even richer than it already was and made it resonate in such a way that like I just didn't I just didn't expect is is what makes it so good why it's like one of the best or probably the best film of the year and possibly one of the best films I've ever seen you know it's like superlative on every level in a way that I just I, I I almost can't handle like Every moment is so good. I, I I think you're right that the I if you listen to our episode about the 1961 version, I am a lot warmer on the love story than you are, or most mm-hmm. people are probably. Um, and this is like so fucking romantic and so tragic that you're right. As soon as it's they are in the cloisters and you remember what's coming for them, if you do know what's coming. I mean, I assume most people do at this point who are watching the film. Um, you're just like, please, no, this is so horrible. I can't watch that happen and play out. And somehow, like, it is it's that those story beats are as tragic as they always were. But the thing that gets me the most is that goddamn Anita arc that they've sort of re. Oh my God. I, I, I just can't handle it. It's just so horrible what happens to her from, go, from the beginning through what the statement of America is to her last scene. It's just like, I would just rather die than have to watch this happen to her, frankly. It's incredible. It is something that like the, what actually happens to her over the course of the film is not changed from like the 1961 film that much, but it just brought out so much more, like just how horrible everything that happens to her is um, by the end of it. And her final scene is just like, devastating it's 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 brilliantly brilliantly done and um i mean ariana devos is just like she's probably i think the mvp of the film either her or rachel um rachel uh zeiger is that uh her last name and um the two of them i think are like the real finds here even though i guess like ariana devos was sort of a find when she was actually cast and then in the two years since like the film was supposed to be released. She's kind of done a bunch of other things like The Prom and um, Schmigadoon, but uh, the two of them are just such incredible um, discoveries and both play the, these scenes so well. That The final moment, was final moment is just really stunning, stunning work. 
Yeah, and I guess it was always in like the original text on some level, but to make it so explicit in a way that, I don't know. I mean, because she's so, um, she, the camera loves her so much that it's mm-hmm. like to suddenly see this person who is like this beacon of, of light. I mean, the camera is drawn to her and your eye is drawn to her anytime she's on screen, whether she's the only person on the screen or one of 50. But to see that light like snuffed out in a weird way by this like horrendous truth of of the America that she wishes she lived in and doesn't is like Mm -hmm. so brutal and so just like satisfying in in a narrative way to see on screen in after the last few years of our lives. It's just incredible. Mm -hmm. I think it's just like I I couldn't watching it last night. I just was like blown away all over again at what a brilliant stroke of writing and, and performance it is like you know we this is obviously an oscar podcast and at this point i'm sure there are you know there are other actresses that are involved in supporting i guess but i don't know it's if she wins it it would be completely justified and uh, you know if she doesn't i don't know how i feel <laughs> like <laughs> I, I haven't like i haven't had the the emotional capacity to to, to think about that world yet no, yeah, I mean, honestly, I'd be fine with her winning or Rita Moreno, who, like, I knew she was in the film, obviously, uh, because it was, she did one of my most, like, the most iconic diva things I could ever imagine of saying how much she thought remaking it was a terrible idea until they offered her a part and then she took it and said it was a great idea. And I was like, hell yes, this is, that is iconic behavior on Rita's part. But, um, but uh, I kind of assumed going in, she'd have, like, a quick cameo but like she gets this really genuinely like incredible arc for for those who haven't seen it as uh valentina who runs a um who runs the uh the the drugstore um take like uh instead of the um the character from the male the white male character from the 1960s film they have her um who is a puerto rican woman who married a white man years ago who has since passed away and now she runs the store uh She's yeah, they, they kill off Doc and make her the, the widow of, of Doc, yeah. who is in the actual play, usually. And um, she's incredible in it. She does such such wonderful work. Um, really, you know, she gets one musical number, which she kills, I thought. But just the individual scenes, uh, she, she's just such a fabulous actor. Even, you know, I, I believe she turned 90 the weekend it came out. And I'm just like, good for her, honestly. <laughs> like, I hope I have half the energy she has at 90. And um, I, yeah, I would be fine with either of them. I really hope they both get nominated. Um, this, this to me, like, this is a weird year in terms of Oscar predictions because, like, it feels like no movie has really, uh, that's a, like, like, has really gotten, like, a, become, like, a major conversation focal point uh just yet and this film unfortunately really underperformed at the box office uh and but like it just watching it i'm like beyond my own and like your love of this film i'm like this just feels like a best picture winner to me like i cannot like of all the films we've watched this year this is like i can't imagine anything else getting it except for this like how does this not sweep and it's going to be really interesting to see if it manages to maintain that sort of momentum that it should get be as a Spielberg film where I'm like, all right, like this has been, it's like, we have a while until the Oscar ceremony. It's not until 
the last weekend of March. I'm like, I really hope they do something to maintain that momentum, even with it leaving theaters, because it's it's phenomenal. Yeah, one hopes that once theaters um, are a little less of a dangerous thing, although it's not stopping anyone from seeing Spider-Man, but whatever. But, you know, when the people who would be interested in seeing West Side Story are <laughs> safe to or feel safe to go back to the theaters that they would sort of bump it back up again because uh, you know it 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 inevitably got kicked by that it was just starting to be a thing it released days before and then you know 5 days after it was released it was like ooh i don't know um but yeah i, I agree I, I think it's the best film of the year by far and the only thing that i the only other film for me personally that would combat it is literally not in the conversation which is the last duel i'll just say it but like um i mean it could be you know i think it's the kind of movie that would appeal to oscar viewers but not the normal person or you know the the general audience clearly ignored it um but yeah i don't know it's like the best movie of the year by far and possibly of the millennium <laughs> it's so fucking good and it's like like nothing is too hyperbolic for it frankly i, I swear to god it's so good i i i literally when i had the when i watched it last night my at the end of it i was like i wish i could watch this movie anew every time like i just forget it and just experience it completely new every time because it's it's great each time but like i will never i don't think i've ever felt the high of seeing it for the first time in a theater and realizing how much they'd you know added to this text and made it like more brilliant than it already was and like I just I can't I just want that. you know what I want the experience back do you know what I mean just that feeling <laughs> I've, I've never experienced something like that, like that in the theater period no yeah the the school play sequence specifically for me was just every single time the camera moved around I was just like oh my god <laughs> like watching it. it was just this really overwhelming experience and um I saw it the second time in IMAX and I was just like paying super close attention to every single detail it's it's just it is one of the like spielberg has this way as a director where he you know for many people he he is movies basically he is like so many of ours like first true cinematic experience whether it be you grew up with jurassic park in my case or you know et for some people uh jaws for some people like he just has made like these mo these moments that are just like etched in the brain of what we all think about when we think about movies and like this to me i'm like oh like half of these sequences deserve to be like in the same conversation as like you know the scene of the kid shining the light on the uh, T-Rex in Jurassic Park and all that stuff. It's like, this is just like exactly what I want from movies. It is such spectacle, but also really devastating and powerful. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm blown away. I made my boyfriend sit through a very long conversation where I basically talked at him about how I would rank my rank Spielberg filmography now. And I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> my rankings were always a bit weird because like Minority Report is like my favorite of his, which like is no one's favorite, but like, I'm like, I think this is like, you know, top two and like, maybe I'll watch it one more time, but I'm like, this is probably my favorite of his. It's just, it's, it's that good. I, I was so blown away by it. Yeah. I'm with you on Minority Report, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's so good. I, I remember thinking, watching it last night, there's that title card at the end, right before the credits roll, or maybe very early on in them that Spielberg says, uh, it has, it says, it says for dad. And 
I don't know. I just had the thought of like little baby Spielberg sitting in um, uh, a theater and uh, watching the 1961 version and having his fucking mind blown. Because mm. that's obviously what happened. <laughs> it just yeah. looked, watching this film. And I just was like, this film has got to do that for some kid. I hope I like it. It has to, because I feel like I'm like, I feel like that kid right now. It's like, if any, you know, longtime listeners of this podcast may recall that a year ago, I was very glib about this because I just didn't think it would be good. I did not think it would be as good as it is. And it just absolutely like, I was ready to, I, you know, I was ready to not like it. And I just did think it's the best thing. One of the best things I've ever seen. It's absolutely the best thing I saw this year. And I liked, you know, a, lo- a couple films a whole lot this year, but just it's the craft is just like unparalleled. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say in this podcast before we move on? Because we will certainly be talking about this movie 600 more times. Yeah, either because it gets nominated 600 times or we scream in our episodes about each individual category about why it should have been nominated for every single Yes, there, there is still time for this to be, become part of our villain origin stories. So don't fuck it up, Academy. Exactly, exactly. But no, I, we, we have a lot of other films to discuss, so let's, let's move on. All right. Um, let me do, I'm going to do one that we sort of also talked about last time that um, <clears throat> we couldn't, we were going to talk about together because I had seen it and you had not and had tickets, but then canceled those tickets because of the Omicron of it all. Um, Nightmare Alley uh, is out now. Um, it is not doing <laughs> pretty particularly well. The the reviews are pretty dismal, as they should be. I was pretty horrible on it. Um, it's bad. It's just not good. Watch the forty seven version. It is that one is light years better, even though it is made under the production code and has to make some compromises. It, this is Del Toro's. Um, I don't know. This is probably one of the weaker films that he's done in a long, a long time. Although I didn't really like um, Shape of Water to be. I mean, I think I'm, I think I'm on record somewhere about that. But yeah, I just don't. Um, it's disappointing because I was so excited. I, like all of the elements are there. You get that cast together, and it should be great. But the thing that I like in the original one, the the film, the original film, it's a not. It's based on a novel. Um, is that it's secretly a, an actor's showcase. And this one I thought was going to be an actor's showcase. But in his reimagining of the text, or re, or really it's described as like going back to the original novel, um, it refocuses everything on the Bradley Cooper character. And like, I love Brad, you know. I've said it before. We love Mr. Cooper. Um, however, I don't care um, about men and particularly that one played by Bradley Cooper um (laughs) so like to me not making the movie Kate Blanchett's movie and she does a great great with it but she is this like thing that reacts to him and or Rooney Mara's movie and then like giving Tony Collette very little to do in a way that I found confusing um just like sucked and it's too long it's like two and a half hours and the other one doesn't like an hour and 40 and, you know, you got to appreciate uh, expediency, which is insane to say after talking about West Side Story, which is almost three hours, but that deserves it. And this does not deserve more than 100 minutes of your time. And it just keeps going on. Um, like, you know, it, this it's a victim of nobody seeing it because it's of the Omicron of it all. But also it did not deserve to be seen, frankly. Um, 
we might talk about it again, but this is the last time I think anybody will mention it during the Oscar conversation, which is wild because it had buzz early on, you know? Yeah, I um, keep considering going to see it because, as you mentioned, no one is seeing it. So I'm like, hmm, I could probably, like, see this and have it be a CDC-approved event. Like, it's like, there's, like, no one, no one going to see this. But I haven't gone yet because it is getting such dismal reviews. And like you said, like, it's two and a half hours. And I'm like, I just, I don't have the energy right now, right now for for like a not very good two and a half hour movie. So yeah, yeah. Someone I don't remember now. I'm sure it was on Letterboxd. Someone compared it or um sort of described it as very close to late era Tim Burton. And I was like, oh shit, that is mean, but also correct. It's it's That's very right. um empty. <laughs> you know, well <laughs> well productioned. Uh, you know, good production design and all that. But um yeah, I don't know. Which is odd because the story is so rife for um. You know, it's about the corruption of mankind. Essentially, <laughs> you know, there's so much there. Really, it's like it's. A, I mean, I I'll, very quickly, it's about grifter. Uh, you know, the, Cooper plays a sort of grifter character who joins a um, a circus slash like carnival or whatever, and, and then um, learns this sort of secret magic code that can um, earn him a lot of money, and then he just becomes more and more uh, corrupt in that pursuit of uh, success as time goes on. It just leaves a you know, a trail of wonderful actresses in his his, uh, his wake. Um, which, again, sounds great, but it just, I don't know how you fuck it up. And yet it has been fucked up. Uh, let's move on from it. Um, uh, let's talk about a movie that you have saw ages ago and that I've been jealous about for many, <laughs> many months. <laughs> and that I saw as what will probably be my last in-person screening until uh, Omicron chills out. Um, to the point that I was literally like messengered COVID tests before I could even go. And then ended up being the only person in the theater, which was sort of fine. Um, the Lost Daughter from Netflix um, stars Dakota Johnson and Olivia Coleman and Jesse Buckley, three three actresses I adore, uh, also directed by an actress I adore, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, adapted from the Atlanta Ferrante novel. Is there anything you haven't said about it that you want to go into or... What do you, actually, you know what, let's talk about, um, do you think it has any awards chances at this point? Um, I think, you know, Olivia Coleman is, and the screenplay are probably its two best chances because of how those categories are shaping up. And um, Olivia Coleman is just so good here, where I'm like, I'm like, she might be my actress pick, either her or um, Rachel Zegler from um, West Side Story. Uh, the two of them are like, doing very different things, but both are so, so good. And I'd love to see Olivia Coleman um, get a nomination here. She seems like the type where she's, she's gotten so much respect in the industry where I could see them going for something like, something like this. And then this feels like an adapted screenplay nominee, you know, to a T, just because it's like the best, the best place where it could, it could shine. It's, it's so dark. And like, uh, you know, I think I said when we mm. first talked about it, like, uncut gems adjacent of like just <laughs> like making you feel deeply yes, uncomfortable yeah. the whole time yeah and um i'm like where i wonder if that'll alienate some voters but like yeah i think Coleman you know is so it's a psychological thriller that i think is more accessible than a similar sort of vibe psychological thriller which is spencer wouldn't you say yeah they're both going for the same thing but spencer like is much easier to swallow, I think, than oh really? Um, than than to to me, like I like I found. I mean, I I liked 
Lost Daughter far more mm. than I liked Spencer. Yeah, 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 but, exactly. Yeah, but um, in terms of what I think the general voters will go for, I could see them going for something like Spencer more to them than than this. I I like to you know like if my mom I, I think of what my mom would react to. If my mom watched Spencer, <laughs> I I think she would have like she would walk away feeling very good about it. And if oh, she watched this, I think my mom would be like, well now I'm depressed. And I think that's huh. that's how I sort of am <laughs> judging it. Not that my mom is an academy academy member. No, but, no, you know. I, I no, I'm just fascinated because I actually would have I would have thought the opposite. I think the I would think this one's more accessible, frankly. It's interesting. I think partially because I um, I had not read the book, and also like mm. I know Alana Ferrante more by reputation than having read her book because I might work in publishing, but I don't have time to read, so I have not read any like any of her works yet. And I'm like I was like totally unprepared for what direction it might yeah. go in. So I I'm curious to watch it again. Uh, with uh, I watched it in you know, at a film festival, but, but by myself, so to speak. Um, and I would like to watch it in a bigger group with other people to see. Maybe I was just the one who was like on the edge of his seat, being like, "Oh no, is someone gonna die?" And then, no, oh, no, no. I, I honestly, yeah. I tr- having read a decent number of of Ferrante and seen a couple adaptations at this point. Um, you know, again, I'm gonna plug my brilliant friend on HBO <laughs> just because it's <laughs> so good. But her stuff, it, her, all of her stuff is that harrowing. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. it's like, which is insane because it's always about domestic life and just the, the horrors of being a woman in the 20th century. So you're just like, why am I so upset? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, no, no one is like, it's just like people are just, uh, you know, uh, standing in a toy store or having small affairs. And yet I feel like I am watching a mafia film. Um, I mean, the, the toy store scene alone, I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was so much. I was like, oh, my God, get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> Screaming in the theater. Um, yeah, no, I mean, her stuff is always that harrowing. And it's it's incredible how well Gyllenhaal captures it. Um, and all of those mm-hmm. actresses are so dialed in to exactly what the film needs. Um, it's very impressive. I, you can read my review of it on the site if you want to, people. Actually, I should say I reviewed Lost Daughter and Nightmare Alley on the site. West Side Story was reviewed by Sam um, Niles if you want to check those out. Um, let's see, what's our next one? Um, oh, actually, is there anything else you want to say about this? I mean, you know, I would love a. I, I would, you know, when it, I don't know what the field looks like still because I, it, you're right, I don't think there's any front runners for anything at this point. But like Buckley and Johnson are both good enough to be like in the supporting category, but not winning it compared to the West Side Story girls. Yeah, it's like you know, I wanted this to be Dakota Johnson's Schumann Oscar win because we the year she gets a Schumann Oscar role, we're gonna never shut up. We're gonna be Bitch, unbearable. I, I will not. I will have to be removed from the podcast. I will have to be removed from the podcast. <laughs> we will lose all of our listeners. It'll be it'll be rough. But she. I don't care. She is quite good here. Um, I do think, like you said, it doesn't pop in the same way like the West Side Story um, ladies or, uh, you know, even like Kirsten Dunst in Power of the Dog pop, I think. But they're both great. Uh, Jesse Buckley is a really, you know, stunning actress, I think. I, I have a feeling. I'm praying every day that her the production of Cabaret she's in right now on the West End comes to America because I desperately want to see her. The way I would watch the shit out of that, the way I would be mm-hmm. there opening the night, she'd be the new Sierra Renee for me. I, well, that's a joke only for you, I guess. <laughs> People in the know. <laughs> Never mind. We, we don't have time. 
but yeah, <laughs> she's so, uh, I mean, I've, I've raved about her on the pod from what, three years ago or so when I saw her um, in uh, Wild Rose at um, the Tribeca and I was like, who is this? So yeah, if they could get her in a musical here or something or like, you know, get her on the Tony circuit and then the, the roles that would open up for her. Ooh, ooh, delicious. Um, okay, let's move on to uh, Don't Look Up, which, you know, came out on Netflix this past, I don't know, sometime recently, actually. <laughs> I, I, I've avoided watching it for a while. Actually, it's been out on theaters for a while and just came out on Netflix like within the last week. That's, that's the issue. Um, I had a chance to see this, but I had family in town and also was not interested because it looked bad. Um, you know, I haven't liked Adam McKay's work in years. It's a, it's a metaphor about climate change. You know, there's absolutely no delicacy to it. What were your thoughts on it? Um, and do you think it has at this point? I mean, people seem to be 50-50 uh, on it. Do you think it'll, what are your thoughts on, like, what it, does it have any awards chance? Well, the discourse is unbearable on Twitter oh, about it. So like, bad. <laughs> I am just, everyone has to log off. Everyone log <laughs> off, please. Like. The world is so bad. Why are you all fighting on an app? Like, it's like... But, uh, Get off God. the bird app and go outside. <laughs> Just stand in the wind. Wear a mask, but go outside. Yeah. <laughs> go in a park and avoid everyone. God. But, um, no, it's like... You know, I so I saw it... I went to see it in theaters because I, you know... I saw it, like, a week before Oh, my God, that's hit. right. Yeah, and... Like, a week before Omicron hit, I was like, I want to see as much in theaters as possible. I don't even care. It'll be on Netflix. I want to support theaters. And then the world changed again. But um, but I went to go see it. And, um, you know, it's like, I really hate advice. We, we both hate advice. But if I remember correctly, I feel like I hated it slightly more than you, if I remember. Like, no, I, I don't know about that. I mean, maybe at the time, but in in posts, it's I've soured. I think I really hated it because it's political based and it's very empty. Yeah, so I think we either hated it evenly or I was yeah. meaner about it. But you know, you were <laughs> we, you're being, neither, you're being anonymous as you often are on this podcast. <laughs> I'm like ready like to just... like send people to the guillotine, and you're like, you know, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the end, of the, neither of us liked it, and um, yeah. And um, the big short is a movie that I liked a lot at the time, but like, Ugh, you know, I hate that one. Yeah, and it's like I, I don't know if I would say I hate it, but I, I get, I get why people would hate it and things like that. And um, yeah. this one came around, and like, I guess I like I didn't hate this one, like for a movie that is also two and a half hours because. No one apparently knows that a movie can be less than two hours anymore. Um, like, it, it went by fairly quickly. But um, for me, at least, in a theater where I, I went to the draft house, so I was having a delicious Cobb salad. And, um, Salads are good, then. Um, yeah, great. And um, so, you know, it went by pretty fast for me. But, like, it is just, like, as much as I wasn't bored and I wasn't angry, I just kept watching it and I was like, this is so basic like it's like I, I'm just like who is this for like this is for like you know it's it, it reminded me a lot of uh the Borat film from last year where I was like oh, yeah like you're right you're right I just, I just never would have made that connection I'm sorry <laughs> no I'm just like you know yeah it annoys me that people 
in this case, don't acknowledge climate change, or in Borat's case, like, that people have horrible opinions. But, like, we have to go a step further than just being like, doesn't that suck? And it's like, I'm just like, you know, I don't want to say that this is, like, punching down, because I don't necessarily think that's true, but it's just like, I'm like, it's just, like, mindlessly punching. Like, it's just, like, it's Mm -hmm. like, this is, like, the most, you know, toothless satire imaginable, because it just kind of stayed in the obvious. And as good as the cast might be here for the most part, because it has like an insane and like an insanely stacked cast, I'm just kind of like, I found it so boring. I found like the way it, it writes about like uh, the the two characters who are Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi, who have a very good song that I think would be a nice original song nominee in it, but um, they're such like shallow caricatures and i'm just like it like it feels so like you know like old school like early 2000s like making fun of pop culture vaguely misogynistic and racist to have them to have them here as like these punching bags for like celebrities and everything like that and like it just to me i just watched it and i was like this is so silly this is going this is the sort of thing that like people will watch it and pat themselves in the back for being like like I understand that climate change is happening, but then, like, that's it. But they won't do anything beyond pat themselves in the back and realize that they know climate change is happening. And I'm just like, okay, like, who, like, who is this for? What is this accomplishing beyond being very angry? And I'm just yeah. like... Who, who is it for? Is it, like, because the people who already know all this will look at the movie and be like, okay, thanks, sweetheart. Like, we, we've been done new. But, like... Mm-hmm. And the people it's aimed at, aimed at, like, you're right, there is a punching down element, but that's not quite the right term. It's like a smug, like, haha, self-satisfied, like, look how dumb those people are kind of thing without mm-hmm. having anything smart to say anyway. But, like, and the people who it's, like, meant to try to change the mind of won't watch it in the first place or will turn it off very quickly because it's edited to death and, like, impossible to watch. Like, six hours of TikTok would be more coherent than this for me, <laughs> frankly. Um, <Yeah>. But like, <laughs> not just to be honest, but like, um, it, like, it, it, so it's, it feels like it's for people who are slightly informed and like not willing to do anything and just want to feel good about that, you know, or like, but like, right. just want to feel good about being like, I, I am not, at least I'm not like those, you know, plebeian fools or whatever who don't understand that the world is dying or something i don't know it's just stupid um yeah i don't know you're right about the sort of um tacit uh implications there of having the like basically the only two or two the two of the only characters of color be like these um you know jokes basically but ariana sings the shit out of that song you know we love to see that and you're right like it would be a fun um nominee for best original song and at this moment there's really not a lot of other stuff realistically right yeah no it's it's a like genuinely i'm like this feels like a good solid front runner i haven't seen Encanto yet but like i think there's a song in that so i'm like you know maybe maybe this get not maybe my composer boyfriend nicholas patel of succession (laughs) will will get a best original song nomination and love um, nicholas patel he's so good but um I will say, I weirdly think this is going to do very well at the Oscars. This feel, Like, Borat yes. got so many nominations. I'm like, oh, this is going to be... Like, I, I have to say, I think the performances range from, like, m- for the most part, fine. I think, like, 
Meryl is actively bad in it. And I'm like, she's absolutely going to be nominated because she's playing, like, you know. She's the most easily accessible sort of, you know, that character makes me feel smart, even though I'm, like, if if I'm feeling that, I'm a unbearable idiot asshole. (laughs) Right. And I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be, like, the worst Meryl nomination, I think. I think she's, like, it, it just, it was lame it's a it's a it's just like it's a, a bad movie i'm like you know i laughed a handful of times there's one ongoing joke about like jennifer lawrence being really oh upset it's so good someone. yeah about the, then, the, the the water and the and the cheeses or whatever yeah and like that made me laugh every time yeah for the same. most part i'm like this is so it reminds me of vice where it's like vice mm. is like two and a half hours of adam mckay being like did y'all know that Dick Cheney was up to no good? And it's like, this is like the same thing where I'm like, yeah, we all know climate change is a big deal. All of his shit feels 10 to 15 years too old. And he is acting like he is writing like very current, interesting stuff. It's like, baby, what are you, where are you? When was the last time you watched a movie or did anything? He needs to get on TikTok. Truly. (laughs) 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 Step Brothers is a better movie. Stepper, this is oh. a better movie about the American psyche than any of yeah. this shit that he's doing now. And it's just yes. like, yeah. where's my criteria in Step Brothers? I, I, want, you know, I, I want this. On some level, his career and, and also the return of Jennifer Lawrence, which you and I have been asking for for years now. It's like a monkey paw situation where like, mm-hmm. you know, the monkey's paw was like, I want Jennifer Lawrence back on the screen. But what at what cost? And she's great in it. I think she's the best thing in it, realistically. Like I was like. Why does she seem more self-assured than all of these older actors? Like, including Meryl, realistically. Like, everybody's acting a fool. And Jennifer Lawrence is the only one who looks like not a, like, you know, not a fool for being in this, frankly. I like, I think Leo gets better, but his first 10 to 20 minutes for me were really bad. I was like, Jesus, we gave this guy an Oscar. Um, (laughs) Melanie Linsky is very good with, like, she has, like, one monologue. Innocent. Yeah. She like oh, I was like good for her. She's she did a, a nice nice job with like ten minutes of screen time. I was yeah. impressed by her. Being the watch, wife, watch you Yellow know. Jackets on Showtime. Everybody <laughs> yeah, she did she did great in a role that is you know Natalie Walker would make fun fun of. Um, mm-hmm. And like Kate Blanchett, great. You know she's just at this point she probably was asleep the whole time. She could do that performance in her sleep. So like some of the actresses do re- really well, but like the people that are supposed to be really good. Streep, Rylance, DiCaprio, I think are all bad in this, which is really wild, frankly. Rylance is so bad in this movie. It's what? like, what? like, what is he, what's going on here? Like, Good lord. Like, yeah, he's so bad in this. Like, oh my god, what did any choices have to be, like, what are any of these choices so bad? Um, we can, uh, you mentioned it a second ago, and I literally started watch or stopped watching it within an hour before we started recording. Um, and Kanto, I've seen it. It just hit um, Disney Plus for free, which is the only reason I, I waited so long. Um, oh, also, I mean, it was hard to see in the theater uh, for uh, the reasons we said, you know, ad nauseum at this point. Um, I, I don't I don't think the music is as good as like Moana, which um, I make a direct line to because Lin-Manuel Miranda did the um, music for both of them. Um, there is one really good song called uh, like, um, what's it called? Like, don't we don't talk about Bruno or whatever is the name of it? I, I don't know if that's the actual name, of it, but that's essentially the gist of it. That Bruno is the uh, is this like black sheep of the family. The whole movie is about 
this magical family living in Colombia, and then one of the girls who is our main character for some reason does not have a magic power and then has to sort of find her place in the uh, in the world. And it's um, yeah, have you read, heard of the book um, Cemetery Boys came out like last year, I think. Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay, it's like a, it's like a YA or I guess new adult maybe novel. Um, uh, that's essentially um, set in um, a family, a magical family who lives in a, like Southern California and they're all uh, Mexican and some of them are, it's like, you know, Latin American diaspora essentially, but there is a trans character in that and it's, they're becoming part of that family is about uh, intimately linked to their transness. And like that made me, this made me think of that a lot in a very good way. Um, Cause it felt like, you know, we've had two Disney animated films this year, one Pixar, one regular Disney animation that felt like quiet queer narratives. And this one, I was like, from the jump, I was like, whoa, this is, this is, this is a queer narrative big time. Um, it is also a story of like being first or second generation um, children of immigrants, basically. Um, you could read it both ways. I think both of those things are in there um, in a big way because it's about like rejecting family or um, tradition and all that stuff. It's a lot heavier in its subject matter than I honestly thought it would be. I just thought it would be some, you know, the commercials make make it look like some fun magical romp with a lot of colors and stuff. And I was like, oh, generational trauma. Interesting. Okay, that's the <laughs> that's the subject matter today. Okay. Oh, it was like, oh truly an inherently queer narrative. We're really going there. Um, so there's a lot to chew on in it. I don't think the music is as good as some of the recent stuff in the Pixar and Disney, you know, uh, oeuvre or, um, and the animation is fine. It's very good. You know, it's colorful and very intricate at this point. And there's a lot of dancing in it, which I'm sure must've been hard to, you know, they're like drawing chore choreography, basically. It's like, it looked, it's wild. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to compare to like um, Luca or I mean, nothing, not a lot of other things have come out this year that have really stuck out. I'm sure we'll see when things happen, but it's it's a lock for a nomination and possibly a win. We'll see. I haven't seen it yet because I was not going to theaters to see it with like a yeah. bunch of children. But yeah. um, <laughs> but I um, I think this is Flea's year. It just, it feels like the, the sort of year where like an adult oriented uh animated film could really come yeah. through and like win when there's no clear disney front runner but um mm -hmm. i will say we never talked on the pod i love the mitchells versus the machines and i strongly recommend people oh right it on yeah that's if they have i keep forgetting about that that's getting a lot of um critic awards and i think yeah. uh it's like it's really really i was so impressed by it. it's really really charming yeah that's a good point i still haven't watched that i just keep forgetting um Let's move on to uh, Being the Ricardos, which uh, <laughs> is uh, the Lucy, um, Lucy, Lucille Ball, um, Desi Arnaz uh, biopic sort of picture about the week after um, a radio host suggests that Lucille Ball was a uh, communist uh, during the Red Scare and all that. Um, when the second season of I Love Lucy is on television, it's a huge hit. And then everybody navigating um, the, the possible fallout of that. And also maybe Desi is cheating on Lucy um, and she's also a control freak and um, 
it's a Sorkin script and realistically it's the same script that he wrote for like <laughs> Steve Jobs movie a couple years ago <laughs> but we, uh, both that I liked actually uh, well enough um, and this is fine better than I thought it would be less unbearable than I thought it would be but still not great um, mostly because I think Nicole Kidman is you know one of the great actors working at this moment realistically and she just you know she's great in this it's just a showcase for how good she is um what are your thoughts on it yeah um i i thought the film itself was like very boring like yeah. in, in like the grand scheme of things and i i really wish sorkin would just not not that this script is perfect but i wish he would just write and not direct his own scripts because i just think he is such a a boring director but um it's it is funny well nicole kidman did not even ever register as lucille ball for me she's incredible in it like she's she's so so much fun here and just totally in like movie star mode and i'm like but she's playing um nicole kidman trying to get into an oscar race she's not playing lucille ball exactly and i was thinking a lot about very different levels of quality here and content but my brother and I, when we watched the first season of Big Little Lies, um, would always talk about, like, it's a testament to how good Nicole Kidman is that, like, she constantly loses her accent and, like, will just slip into <laughs> Australian for a line, but we're riveted. Like, it's yeah. like, like, the marriage counselor scenes in Big Little Lies, I don't think she once actually does an American accent, but I was like, this is the finest work of her career. <laughs> and it's like, I felt similar to that, where I am like, I don't buy this whatsoever, as her um doing lucille ball but i i buy it completely as this is a movie star and one of our best movie stars working right now and i mean listen the greatest thing to happen other than going back to the movies this year was nicole kidman's amc pre-show reel um and <laughs> I, i'm so thankful as a that. member of regal i don't understand <laughs> it and but i appreciate how much you guys are really connected to that thing <laughs> listen amc a list gives me so many rewards but that was the greatest reward that they gave me that pre-show reel i the, the day after halloween my boyfriend was like oh you could have been nicole could have been as like at the, and i like threw a table like i was like <laughs> i was like how did i not think of that and it they better keep that pre-show reel for 2022 every once in a while you would just walk and walk around into a party and be like Somehow heartbreak feels, you know, whatever in a place like this. It's the greatest thing ever. Best, best, of, best live action short. That's the that's the <laughs> <for> me. <laughs> Maria Menounos is shaking. Oh boy. I mean, I love her too. I have my Maria Menounos shirt. I'm I'm a fan of them both. They they both have a place in my heart. <laughs> sure. Jesus Christ. Oh boy. <laughs> Just the culture of going to the movies. What a what a thing. It's incredible. Um, yeah, I, I actually keep wanting to go to a, a AMC to see what the all, what the hell all of you are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever. I gotta figure out what that is about. Because they used to have great stuff. I mean, that thing with the Coke thing where you used to be in the straw. Wow, what a moment. Um, iconic. <laughs> iconic. Um, all right. The last film we want to talk about is Matrix, Res- Matrix Resurrections, which um, both blew our faces off. You... You didn't get to. We both had to watch it on HBO Max, unfortunately. Even though we would have both loved mm-hmm. to see it in the theater. Yeah, I had IMAX tickets to go, I and I was like, I, I I returned them like the day before. I was like, is this? Is there any way I can make it work? And there just there wasn't a way, and I was I was so disappointed. But um, honestly, like 
with the aesthetic decisions that Lana Wachowski makes in it, it almost works better at home, I think, than it might in a theater, even though I do wish I could have seen her in a theater because it You is, wonder if she made it to watch on an iPhone on some level. Yeah, it's really interesting choices in a movie that is just fascinating to, to sit through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess for uh, those who are not aware, it is the fourth installment. Um, I guess you're here not counting the animated anthology or whatever. Let's just say fourth installment of the Matrix franchise, uh, this time only directed by Lana Wachowski. Lily is uh, not not technically involved in the directing or the writing this time, even though she, you know, helped inspire everything. Although, you know, obviously the true life of their stories is integral to what's happening here. Um, you know, the in retrospect, people sort of read The Matrix as a trans narrative and, and they've both sort of come out and been like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> clearly we were writing that and didn't realize, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and it's, I think, I I sat down to watch it in my projector on my projector and just was absolutely floored at what a metatextual piece of filmmaking it is and that they were she, she was able to make it and that a major studio released it because it just is the most incredible like examine, examination of one's career and uh, influence on culture and like meaty delicious thing for a film student you know film school student to ever have to witness I just it's a I screamed and cried through the whole thing and I I haven't watched the other ones in a long time maybe the first one more recently um but I used to watch the second one constantly on what I assume must have been HBO at the time and then the third one less so because it's a little too like cerebral for me I was like enough enough please enough I can't do this anymore. <laughs> but um, I just didn't realize how embedded those were, I guess, in my brain or whatever, something. Um, but I was so just in it with this new one and so impressed by it on every level. It's certainly one of my favorite films of the year. It's just a, an absolute, um, I don't know, just there's so much to it that I I don't even know where to begin. You know, how, how, what are your thoughts on it generally, I guess? And do you think it has any chance at a friggin' um, awards push? I, I think not, but it it's one of the best movies I saw the year, this year, I would say. I mean, it better get nominated for Best Visual Effects at the very least, mm. because, like, even with the aesthetic decision to sort of make it look intentionally, um, you know, uh, ugly at points and just aesthetically off, I guess, uh, you know, it still is better looking than I think any Marvel movie this year. So I'm like, yes. oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we haven't seen Spider-Man, but we'll see. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't expect. I don't expect. Not yeah. with Sony money. Not with Sony money. No. <laughs> but um, but no, it is like I would love to see it get a visual effects nomination at the very least. Mm. Even though, yeah, I'm like, this is one of the the most interesting screenplays for like a reboot or a sequel that mm-hmm. I've, like, ever seen, and I'm, like, I don't know, I I just, I was excited for, the, like, look, I, I'm not, uh, you know, uh, gonna be a hypocrite here, it's, like, I roll my eyes at every, at, like, a lot of the reboots that come, but whenever, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. whenever a reboot of a franchise that I, like, cut, gets announced, I'm, like, oh, cool, and it's, like, that is just, you know, we're all complex, we're, we all, <laughs> we all have flaws, and, um, and, I was excited for whatever Matrix 4 was going to be, even though I didn't necessarily know if, like, 
we quote unquote needed a matrix for. But I'm just so happy that this ended up being like this whole movie about like, hi, like, I don't think we needed a matrix for, but it was going to get made either way. So I decided instead to make it this movie about like how the matrix is this deeply personal artifact, artifact to me beyond, you know, um, beyond just what the cultural, uh, the uh, reputation of it is. And I think that's such a fascinating direction with Alana Wachowski to go in. And I found... It's, it's just, I couldn't believe it was being said in the mm. film. Like, it's not even subtext. People say, like, a character says that in the movie. Yeah. And I was like, is this happening? Like, they let her make this? Like, what? I just, it blows my mind. It's so interesting. And so, like, just a breath of fresh air, honestly, in the grand scheme of things. Because it's like, I, I just, you know, I don't know if there will be a Matrix 5 or not. Apparent, Deadline ran a story that apparently Warner Brothers is interested in continuing the franchise, and I don't know what that will look like. But I do just love that this ended up being this movie that's just about, like, how, you know, one of the most iconic and influential movies of the 90s uh, is not just a piece of IP. It is this, like, deeply personal piece of um pop like piece of work for at least like you know at least one art at least one artist lana wachowski but like one would assume both lana and lily even though Lily's not involved in matrix in matrix four and um i'm just like you know it's i've seen a lot of people saying how like you know detractors of the film saying how this is like the film snobs version of like a reboot because it's like you know ultimately kind of mocking the idea of reboot but i sort of see it as like you know this oh, sorry. Me. Sorry, it's good. Yeah, like, but also I'm, <laughs> I'm like, sorry, like, I'm like, I don't know, I didn't even see it as, like, mocking the idea of it. I saw it as, like, a, no, a reminder. No, it's deconstructing. That, like, yeah, and I saw it as, like, a reminder that, like, all these IP franchises and everything like that, which are, you know, made by corporations, at like, and, you know, capitalism, are, like, at the end of the day, at their core, pieces of art for somebody out there like mm-hmm. this is like a personal work you know i'm gonna make fun of spider-man no way home because the fans are nuts but like at the end of the day spider-man is a personal piece of work for somebody and it, it's like oh. this is just like you know I many people on the site film. that this will that this will be posted on frankly yeah honestly it's like you know this is you know art art means things for people and this is just such a nice reminder of like that this piece of art that has become you know a point of just conversation and you know, it has been spoofed and has been uh, clearly influenced and was also influenced by work that came before it. Like, this is just, it is important to the creators. And I mean, the the fact that the big climax of the film is a special effect driven, but an emotional payoff versus yeah. a action payoff is just incredible. It is so, so beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on some level, I, I get that criticism, but also so many things that are uh, pieces of art that are meant to be, that are big pieces of IP that are meant to be sort of like bring people in. No Way Home is a good example, realistically. We haven't seen it, but putting all those people in it, we won't say who, everybody knows though, um, has for years, <laughs> is, is about uh, connecting to generations of people who have loved Spider-Man, realistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously part of it, but it's not, nobody says it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, 
it's also so involved in the idea of this bigger franchise and IP stuff that you you're there's a remove from the emotion and the nostalgia involved but this is like no we're going to talk about it and we're going to talk about how that works and why it works and what is you know fucked up about that and also what is good about it and what is still transcended even even if there are these bad elements which like you know it feels like a necessary thing in this moment of in- incredibly ridiculous franchise filmmaking where mm-hmm. just like even despite despite the threat of death people are still going out to see spider-man <laughs> like, in like in massive droves it's like it's, dude the way i look every day that since it's come out to see if there is a screening where i feel comfortable going and it, they're just they've been sold out since has been shocking to me I'll look at 8 a.m. showings on Christmas Day or 10 p.m. showings on Christmas Eve, and that shit is fully packed. I cannot believe the way that that movie is steamrolling through the box office. It's incredible to me. I just I just could not have imagined. I like when it was coming out and Omicron was happening, I was like, man, that's going to take a hit. And it just will not. People are willing to die for it. It's incredible to me. It's insane. And I'm like, you know. I, you know, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man was, like, formative. One of my, yeah, one of my formative films. Like, I had two copies on VHS. I liked it so much. And, like, I'm, like, you know, I want to like these films so much more than I do. And I do. I really did enjoy the last two Tom Holland films, to yeah. be honest. But it's just, like, I'm, like, um, like, you can't simultaneously, like, absolutely dominate the box office, but also act like you're being you know, mocked by not, by like having some detractors online. I'm like, no, you already won. No, 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 only, no. You're only the culture. Superhero. You're the culture. Yeah, exactly. You're only getting superhero films for the rest of our lives, basically. Except the win. Yeah. yeah Except the I, win. N- enough. We don't it have to. It is okay that Marty Tercesi doesn't like you. It's fine. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, fine. Marty is fine. Marty's not making movies for you and you're not making movies for Marty. We can just be separate. We don't have to be the man's in his 80s. Like, literally. Yeah, but like, I know, he's been making yeah. movies for too long. He doesn't want to go <laughs> see some loud thing. Let him sit at home and watch Matrix Resurrections with us, for God's sake. Yeah, Lord. it's just, it's just like, I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm like, just let's like let's just have fun at the movies let's we don't have to get so, and yeah, again, everyone it. has to log off the internet. Log off, that said. If we, you and I, legitimately have to talk about No Way Home, again, a movie we haven't seen and we'll probably like just fine, mm-hmm. as part of the Best Picture non- uh, the, uh, like conversation, I will kill someone. <laughs> well, just because it's like, it's funny because this has not, a, not been like a banner year for movies, but like, right. there's certainly enough where you could fill, like, I can name 10 movies I really like that like, better fit within a best picture conversation than no way home and i just keep thinking of the emma stone uh everything is for you and this one thing is for him it's like that's it yeah this is wells for sensitive boys just let us have the one thing exactly i'm like you know it's let us declare things on our balconies for god's sake (laughs) honestly it's like i'm like it's you don't need this win you don't you just simply do not need this and it's like you made ass loads of money in a way that is almost obscene just to have, just keep, you know, it's it's the bad men. Th- it's like it's like bad men of like that's what the money's for. We don't yeah, we don't need exactly. the recognition. Just take the fucking money, Elizabeth Moss, please. Yeah. <laughs> just leave us alone. 
let exactly. us drink ourselves to death, okay? <laughs> just let us be dumb <laughs> in our unhappiness, all right? God. Exactly, exactly. It's like, you Just know. go live your well-adjusted life off somewhere while we're just sitting there, you know, hiding everything. God. Um, I do want to mention- fine. We're doing great, everybody. <laughs> we're doing great. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to very quickly talk about two films that I uh, think might end up in the conversation possibly for best documentary. Um, I haven't seen a lot, usually on this podcast, I, I am miss documentary. All I do is watch documentaries. I don't think I've seen almost any this year, which is odd. Um, I just think the independent ones aren't really coming out in the way that they usually would be, you know, just being filtered mm-hmm. out in, in New York City theaters or anything. Um, and none of them are really hitting big on um, streaming services. Like, I don't think that Britney documentary is going to, you know. <laughs> <something>. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I did see over the weekend, finally, um, which is just hit Netflix and that I think is very good. The Alpinus, which I wanted to see in theaters when it came out, but it was so limited in its release that I couldn't find it anywhere. It is about an alpine climber who basically does something similar to what um, uh, Alex Honnold does, but with snowy mountains and um, literal like ice hooks on ice that could fall at any moment and like little spikes on his shoes. It's the most ridiculous like and there's one climb he does in it that is supposed to be like three times the length of what Alex did on in Yosemite which to me oh, is wow. literally unfathomable I was like that's too much climbing <laughs> as someone who climbs on Saturday sometimes for three and a half hours straight whatever that is is too much climbing I don't think that's healthy or whatever like that's not safe but it's about this one guy who just does it he just does it for fun and he like refuses to like you know, the big part about um, uh, Free Solo was that, um, you know, he was very willing to have them come with him. This guy, he just goes out and does it alone and then will tell someone later. Like, he'll record it himself or something if, if, he, if he must. Like, at some point, the, base, the, 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 the documentarians have to track him down because they hear he's somewhere through Instagram and they send a friend to go look for him in the woods because he just stops. They buy him a cell phone and he just stops answering it, basically. So like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's a fascinating um, examination of a, of an athlete whose abilities are just frankly unfathomable to me and to most people, I think, Um, and whose determination and like, I don't know, willingness to put themselves in danger is very different from the Honnold thing. Like a lot of people don't like Honnold because he seems like kind of an asshole, Um, but you know, whatever. Um, But this guy's, I don't know. It's very, it's very fascinating. Um, there are times when the the uh, what's it called the the voiceover is maybe a little too much, but there are reasons for that, and you know uh, the filmmakers are maybe not as quite don't re- obviously don't have as much control over their subject as you know <laughs> Jimmy Chin did <laughs> for with Alex Honnold. Um, the second one is related to Free Solo. It's uh, directed by the same pair that did Free Solo. Um, it's called The Escape. It came out a couple months ago. I went and saw it in theaters with a uh, Q&A with uh, Jimmy Chin, who's one of the directors. Um, and it is about um, those those kids who got in a ca- got trapped in a cave, the little soccer team who got trapped in a cave a couple years ago. Um, and it talks to, they couldn't talk to the kids um, because their life rights have already been sold to Hollywood and you can't uh, do interviews, I guess, because of that, which is a shame. Um, Because that would be a nice perspective to get as the kids (laughs) being in the thing. 
But it makes sense that he, uh, the, the two filmmakers ended up talking to um, essentially ice or like cave divers, which is uh, another in extreme sport that seems um, wildly unnecessary. <laughs> um, but like, it, but like helped in this situation because like the literal Navy of that country could not, um, did not have the skills to do this kind of cave diving um, in order to save those kids, which is wild, you know? Um, but yeah, I think it's well worth watching. Uh, it, that also just hit Disney Plus, I believe. Um, and I think uh, this, this, the escape is probably going to be more likely to um, be in the conversation because of the free solo connection. Mm -hmm. But I do think The Alpinist is the wildly superior film um, in terms of just... I think the rescue can be a bit saccharine or whatever. Did I call it the escape this whole time? I did. did I? It's the rescue. I'm sorry. Um, I keep calling it different. I saw that back in theaters <sighs> a couple of months ago, and it is just like the title is far too vague for me to ever yes, remember Yes, that's part of the problem. And yeah, that is a huge part of the problem. And I do think it's a little, it feels a little generic, honestly. It's hmm. it's a Nat Geo production, I believe. So it just feels a little... Um, a little too TV movie. Um, and I think that's honestly because of the restrictions of what they could get from their footage and who they can interview. But the the Alpinist is far more sophisticated. And I think if one were to make it into the, into the conversation, it will pop, probably be the rescue. I do hope it's the Alpinist, which I think is absolutely superlative. It's really, really good. I watched it a couple days ago and it just you know blew my mind. I was hoping it would be good because I you know, kept hearing about it and wanting to see it. And I just wasn't able to get to the one or two theaters it was playing in when it was out. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's very, very good. And I hope it, people will, oh, now that it's on Netflix, I hope people, you know, figure, find it and seek it out and it maybe gets into the conversation. It'll be an interesting race. I've seen like a handful of the documentary nominees. I mean, like I, we both loved uh, Summer of Soul, if I remember correctly. When oh that yeah, was that's out over great. The so, you know, it's it's a good year for documentary yeah. so far. Yeah. I, I, I worry that one came out too early. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I know. I, I worry about that too. I But, uh, you know, we'll have to see. We'll, we'll inevitably do our catch-up when they announce what actually gets nominated. <laughs> and yeah, I feel like I'm going to have to do some work. We'll watch like four depressing documentaries in a row, but <laughs> they'll be good. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I think that's all the films we wanted to talk about. I'm sure we will, we will, we will be back fairly soon. I'm sure one of us is going to see Spider-Man eventually. I keep looking at the damn, um, you know, showtimes. Um, but we'll have to talk about that because it's now being pushed for Best Picture by Disney. Um, and there's uh, there's most, I think most of the big stuff has come out, though, for the most part. Yeah. You know, yeah, now, now I'm in be... my catch-up phase, basically. Yes. Just watching everything that I haven't seen yet. Yeah. But I'm sure we'll be back within the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, we'll, we will be able to go back to theaters more frequently by then. Because as if you if you can't tell, you know, Matt and I are creatures of the movie theater. Um, you want to see Scream? I want to see Scream. Oh, I want, that's I all I want. <laughs> I know. I've been waiting so long for that damn Scream movie. Um, beloved Vanessa from In the Heights is in it. Mm. Um, I will surely have something. I, I think I've I've written a lot lately, so I think I might be taking a bit of a break. I think I might have one independent coming up that was supposed to be at a couple of um, film festivals, which who, who knows whether those will happen now. Um, that'll probably be coming up right at the beginning of the year. Um, we'll see. Maybe I'll do Scream if it comes out and I'm comfortable going to the theater. 
just check this just just check the popbreak.com i'm sure there'll be stuff up there um you can find me everywhere at marissa carpico um on various you know social media sites matt you want to plug anything yeah um i'm not writing anything for the site right now but you can follow me on twitter at matt not matthew one uh you're better off to just look follow me on letterboxd uh, matt mm-hmm. t where i am trying to watch more movies and just you know stay off stay i'm trying to stay off twitter because twitter as i've said before it's pretty bad right now people She's wild. people have to log off <laughs> Yeah. No, between between like don't look up and licorice pizza, it was like we have to film Twitter is not a good place right now. Um, (laughs) All right. We will be back. Uh, Hopefully you'll hear from us soon. Thanks, everyone.